Welcome to the Dreams by Any Means Motivation Station. I'm your host, Ed Dotson. Today, I have a very special guest here on the show. Um, I think it's something uh, someone that the audience can really benefit from. Um, she has a background in being a coach, um, but specifically a career coach, but also in a space that I think we don't talk about a lot. And that's um, assistant athletes, you know, who uh, may not make it pro, who may not have those dreams. Or even if they do go pro, you know, once um, uh, they do go professional, what is after, um, you know, that NFL career? What is after the NBA career? Um, Julia Rock, I'm going to let you tell the people more about yourself. But before um, I'll give a brief introduction, I'll tell people, you know, uh, just telling you how the podcast works. You know, I started this actually um, just as far as me exposing my network. So my personal friends, people I went to college with, um, so forth and so on. But as I continue to meet people and continue to network, you know, and it's something that this podcast is based on and talks about the key of networking. Um, you know, I'm excited to have you here on the show. So as I was reading through your bio, um, learning about you through Angela, um, myself being an HR professional, um, myself when I was in college, you know, being the, the guy, uh, the student was always in Career Services Center. Um, I'm excited myself, I think probably more than the audience to, you know, learn more about you <laughs> and uh, pick up some nuggets I think can assist myself and my friends and everyone that's watching, you know, to continue to uh, navigate through their career successfully. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ed, for having me. I'm like, I'm really excited because I can talk about careers all day. But but first <laughs> yeah. things first, uh, let me introduce myself. So I'm Julia Rock. I am a career coach and strategist, and I own Rock Career Development. And we seek to help athletes to translate the, their existing skills into high paying in demand careers. So really, it's about finding their next career play after sports. Uh, but I tell people I'm a corpreneur. I'm not going to cap here on the internet saying I'm full time. <laughs> nope. I have a day job. Um, um, I work in accounting uh, management, so, so I run a division, and I live in Buenos Aires, Argentina, which is pretty cool. Um, but, but yeah, so I've been in the career coaching space now for, you know, unofficially since 2006 and more officially since 2013. So I've been in the game a long time, um, but I'm passionate about helping athletes, particularly Black and POC athletes. Um, you know, everybody needs help, but I'm really passionate about helping the people who look like me to level up in their careers, um, especially at this stage with athletes and those who are transitioning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, before we jump into all of the great nitty gritty stuff, let's just start from the beginning. Uh, you know, where are you from? Where did you grow up at? So uh, interestingly enough, so I, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, so I'm originally from Brownsville. So if no one knows where Brownsville is, just listen to any Jay-Z or Biggie song. <laughs> like, right, right, right. Um, and, and so I grew up there, but my family's originally for the, from the island of Barbados. So uh, uh -huh. I'm Bayesian by, by heritage. Uh, okay. So I grew up in Brooklyn. And then um, once I graduated from high school, I kind of bounced around the Northeast, lived in Delaware, lived in, I went to college in Philly. So go Temple, any Temple Isles out there. Um, and and then, um, then um, I went to grad school in Alabama and then moved to Texas. So bounced around the U.S. a lot, but I'm originally from Brooklyn. It will always have my heart. And then, like I said, my family's from Barbados. Okay, nice, nice. So Brooklyn. So you say you went to Temple. Uh, what did you study at Temple? So at Temple, I studied uh, finance and international business. I was a double major. So, oh. uh, so yes, yeah, so I'm all, that, that's why I'm still in accounting now. So I have a love of numbers. Um, yeah. I got it from my dad. Uh, he was a financial advisor for a long time and he, it kind of rubbed off on me. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. And we always talk a lot of, uh, about in the podcast, you know, the importance of uh, transition, location and those type of things. So when you uh, went to Temple, was that your first time leaving Brooklyn? Um, so, so in terms of like moving away at, you know, um, in my later years, yes. So I spent some time in Barbados as a kid, um, okay. but in terms of like truly stepping out on my own, move, going to college was my first, my first go round of that. So for any college kid who actually goes and lives away from home, it's a, 
it's a transitional <laughs> experience to say the least. And I didn't live on campus. I didn't have the benefit of the dorm. Uh, I had my um, own apartment. So I was an adult ASAP, right? So okay. paying rent, all that kind of stuff that I was, I was living the, the adult life real fast. And you were in North Philly? North Philly, uh, Fern Rock, <laughs> all the way up there in the hood. My first apartment yeah. got robbed, like real life. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Shout out to Philly. I went to school in Delaware, Delaware State, so I got a ton. Hey, okay. Um, yeah. I, I used to work at Chase uh, in Wilmington, Delaware. So I'm oh, yeah. so all the Del State grads were were working alongside me, either UD or Dell State. Yeah, Wilmington. Okay, so you had Wilmington in Philly. You had quite an experience for those two cities. <laughs> For real in real life, man. But no, that's, that's you know, after Temple, um, you know, what was your first job right out of college? Yeah, so it's actually uh, Chase. So I went to Chase and um, and I started in their credit card operations and I worked in kind of their business processes. So helping to create the card offers. So some of the campaigns we see now, like Chase Unlimited, Chase Sapphire, the stuff, like all those when they were first starting, I was actually on some of those campaigns. So it's pretty cool to see them, how they've morphed. Um, and then I got into finance. So, um, so I got promoted into a finance position while I was there. Um, and I supported six different operations groups. Um, and so uh, it was a pretty cool experience because it was my first foray into really getting into the field that I had studied for uh, yeah. and seeing all the things kind of from the textbook actually coming to life and being able to apply my knowledge. So that was um, right. so between that business process and then the finance, that's my first kind of space after college. OK, nice. Now, I want you to talk about that transition. Um, I know from, uh, myself, from my experience, I by the grace of God, I was able to have a job right out of college. Um, but I know a lot of students don't have a job right out of college or it might not be the job within their major. But um, we know, you know, being black and if you're getting a job in corporate America, transition to that space. I mean, I'm speaking from my experience, you know, um, on campus, I did student government. Um, I did different internships and those type things. But, you know, I moved away to Las Vegas. I was working with a large company. And this is my first time, you know, in corporate America. And I thought that, you know, I'm, oh, I can adapt anywhere. I can do this type of things. And it was a, you know, cool experience, but it was just a big culture difference. And I think especially coming from an HBCU. So, you know, I did uh, have a little uh, challenges sometimes just with the uh, adjusting to the social, you know, um, social life, I would say within the corporate America, so people don't look like you, know, those type of things. Right. And we know with this generation, because um, even myself, I've been, uh, uh, I've been one of the ones where, if we don't like a job, you know, we're out. We're getting out of it. <laughs> Facts. Two we're weeks not. in ASAP. <laughs> you know, we'll go to another one and go to another one. But, you know, instead of, uh, you know, giving up quick, like I said, I'm speaking for my mentees that are currently in the workforce and those type of things. Um, you know, what's some advice you could offer um, to, you know, going from college into the corporate America or just the workforce in general and, you know, not losing yourself and also keeping your identity? Yeah, so, so I think a couple of things there. Um, you know, one thing is when you're in college, that's a space of learning, right? You're alongside people who are on the same race and so forth, and we're all just trying to graduate. But when you get into the corporate space, you have to understand that you're now with people who are at different levels, people who are at different levels of experience and so forth. And so you have to shift into a certain element. And it does, and people think that, okay, if I become a professional, if I dress a certain way, I'm losing my identity. Who you are is not tied to the clothes you wear or anything like that. It's tied to the core of your personality. It's, it's, it's tied to how you carry yourself. So that's the first thing I want to mention. Just because you have to change what you wear, you have to change the time you get up and the kind of you know conversations you have, that doesn't change who you are at the core. I think there's a lot of conversation yeah. about being authentic. And it's like, 
authenticity comes from within, right? So, so that's the one thing we have to think about. But then when it comes to making that transition, it, it's thinking about, you know, what am I now here to accomplish? What is the purpose of me being here? And it may not be easy, but learning from the people who are around you and seeing how other people around you move, you know, people who may have made that transition before you, having some conversations with them and understanding how they've been able to navigate in this space. But I'll say for me personally, when I first, um, I interned as well. And when I first did my internship, I saw how people managed and carried themselves. I'm like, okay, right. so this is what it's like to be in this environment. So it's being able to soak that up um, and then apply it. It's not going to be easy, but it's yeah. about learning about who's around you. Yeah, yeah. And, and that leads to my next question is, you know, yeah. how do you go about mentorship, um, you know, in those workplaces? I know um, sometimes I've, I've had opportunities where I joined a program and they may assign you a mentor, but for someone that's just a new hire, you know, they're in there to do their accounting work, their marketing work, whatever the case is. Um, it's something because I, I know we've had this conversation on the podcast before. Some people want a mentor, but they may feel like, oh, I don't want to feel like I'm asking someone for something or they just don't know how to ask. So uh, give some advice on how to navigate to kind of, you know, find a mentor or a sponsor within your organization when you're uh, new to the workforce. Yeah. And mentorship and sponsorship is something that's near and dear to my heart. So I'm glad that you asked that question. Uh, when it comes to finding a mentor, it's not just about, okay, what can I ask this person to do for me? Right. It's about, okay, I'm now in a new space. Who do I want to talk to, to learn more about their career? If I, if I see a, a position in my company that I aspire to, who's in that job right now? Or who's that person's boss, right? And 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 that's and and some and what I've done in some cases is I've just set up a lunch to say, hey, I'm new to the organization. Right. Um, I would love to learn more about your role. And sometimes, you know, people are just like, sure, let's have lunch, let's have coffee. And many times, people will just offer their their time with you because they'll say, hey, if you have more questions, set up time with me. And what I've said is, hey, would you mind if we set up things on a recurring basis, maybe a quarterly basis? And some folks are like, yeah, absolutely you know, block my calendar. So that's before you even get to the, you know, can I tell you about my situation, right? It's like, let's just set up that time. So I think we have to think about mentorship without thinking about, well, what can this person do for me? It's like, how do I start to engage and build relationships? Because the mentorship will happen organically. Every sponsor right. I've had has just come from a lunch, someone else connecting me, et cetera. So it's, it's less about asking and more about how do I start building organic relationships? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I'm glad you said that because I think sometimes um, people think, you know, uh, it's a what can this person do for me or um, what can I do for them? Or sometimes, you know, people may be afraid. Um, you know, myself, I've had internships where I got to meet the CEO. You know, people were asking, you know, mm -hmm. oh, how do you put them? And it's like, I happen to run into them in the break room and it's like, hey, can we set up a meeting? And you'll learn <laughs> yep. that a lot of these people, you know, no matter their pay salary, no matter what position they have, people enjoy, you know, talking about themselves. People enjoy giving back lending those hands and sometimes looking when everyone's in their seat. So um, that's great advice for sure. So um, I know you said you left school, you went to Chase. So after Chase, what was your next um, experience? Did you go right into your business or? No. So, so I, so I had started helping people kind of unofficially since 2006 when I was in college. So I'm dating myself a little bit, but um, <laughs> when I was in college, um, you know, in 2006, so I was informally helping people without getting paid. And okay. so then after Chase, um, I went back to grad school. So I went to the university of Alabama in Huntsville, UAH fans, anyone out there? <laughs> um, but, uh, but I went to, I went to UAH and, um, and so I got my MBA uh, with an accounting concentration, 
Um, and, and then after that, I went and I got into kind of the second chapter of my career, which is where I'm at now. Um, and it's when I started the second chapter in the oil and gas business. Um, that's when I really kind of started my business officially in, in 2013. Okay. okay, nice. Now with the business, uh, which we're going to get into, um, question, are you a former athlete? No, I have no athletic ability right. whatsoever. Oh, so God was, was just like, nope. Yeah, <laughs> So, so, so about you being a career coach, specifically for, you know, athletes and posted a uh, sports career, what motivated you or what, you know, sparked an interest to say, I want to focus on this specific population? Yeah. So uh, prior to working with athletes, I was coaching corporate professionals for a long time. So it's people mm -hmm. who were, you know, seeking to just get, you know, jobs in marketing, finance, whatever. I um, mean, I did that for a long time, but I got into that because I wanted to help an underserved population of, of black and POC professionals. But, you know, fast forward to say 2021, at that point, you know, the market has so many coaches that are out there that help black professionals, which I'm so excited to see because it wasn't the case in 2013. But in 2021, um, a client of mine, her brother was coming back from overseas, uh, playing overseas. And, um, she said, hey, can you help my brother find a job? And I'm like, I've never coached an athlete before, but we're going to we gonna roll with it. Right. And yeah. so um, so he and I worked together. He was able to find a job and I was so, so excited for him. But then it, I had the thing. I was just like, wait, the light bulb went off. It's like, well, he's not the only one who would need this service uh -huh. um, because athletes are not focused on, you know, post sports careers. It's about let me go and play and be the best I can be. And so that's what really sparked it for me to say, hey, this is a population that's underserved from a career coaching perspective, similar to what I was doing in 2013. I wanted to get back to my roots of serving the underserved. And, and, and right now for me, that's, that's athletes. Okay. And, and, and your experience, um, cause I'm thinking about uh, some of my friends who, um, you know, athletes and they went to the workforce workforce. Do you, uh, uh, see a lot of athletes wanting, even though if their careers, you know, may not go pro or even once their career is done, do you see them want to remain in the sports arena or some people just want to go do a totally different career? Um, a lot of folks want to stay associated with the sports space, whether it's broadcasting or coaching, player yeah. development, scouting, um, some sort of front office. I find that a lot do want to stay, but, but I also have some who are just like, you know what? I did the sports thing. Grateful for that opportunity. I'm ready to go down a different path. But, but yeah, a lot do want to stay associated with sports because it's like, you can still hold on to a little bit, even if you're right. not playing uh, actively. Yeah, no, for sure. Now with most of the clients that you've had, um, do you come across a lot that are, you know, they go pro and after it's like, you know, they may not have any money and they have to work or is it more like those who have that football dream and then once college is done, they don't get drafted or is it kind of like a, a mix? So, so right now I have a mix of athletes who have, who have been in the student space and then those who have actually had a pro career. Um, I've okay. had some who went pro in the U S and then they went overseas and then it's like, okay, well now I come back and I have to start, um, start a career. And then, like I said, I have some students who, who have played well. Um, and then I have one client who, uh, was in his first year of playing overseas and was just like, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> right. So, yeah. so it really does, uh, it does, it does range in terms of the clients. Okay, for sure. And, you know, being a career coach, I think it's a title. Um, you know, I'm on LinkedIn all the time. So everyone, you know, calls themselves a career coach. Some are great, some are good, you know, some are experts. Um, what are some of the skills you would say, you know, you possess that allow you to really be effective in that space? Because I know I saw that you have some accolades from LinkedIn and different things, you know, in your experience. So what are some skills you would say for those who may be watching and say, hey, I want to be a career coach or 
I want to be a career coach to my own self. What are some of those skills that, you know, can allow you to be successful? Absolutely. Uh, so the first thing about being a coach is that you're not trying to give your clients an answer. And what I have specialized in is helping my clients get to the answer themselves. So yeah. being able, to, what I find that sometimes coaching asks you kind of surface level questions. They give you a lot of assessments and things that you can use as a crutch to say, this is why I'm doing that or this. But what I have found is my specialty is being able to ask the right questions for my clients to uncover the direction that they need to go in because we can't build an action plan until um, until we, we find the foundation and the clarity. And I find that's the difference with me and other coaches um, is that we, a lot of them focus on what do we want you to do now, whether it's get a new job, get a resume, get a LinkedIn. But I think about, well, how, like, what do we make doing all of that for? What career do you want? Who do you want to be? What do you want to be known for? Doing that clarity work. And that's something I specialize in, in terms of having that skill, being able to ask the right questions. And also because I've been in the corporate America space for so long, I see what it means to hire, to let go the skills that companies are looking for. Um, and, I, and I'm not an HR person, right? So I'm a person that has sat in a business role and I know what companies and employers are looking for. HR and what somebody in a, in a functional role are looking for are two different things. And so I'm able to bring that conversation along with the other skills. So it's being able to find that clarity, being able to help them see kind of tangibly, this is what an employer is looking for. So this is how you have to position your message, your brand, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. And it's interesting, you know, you think about doing this work with athletes who are used to having a coach. Um, you know, I, I had a question, you know, sometimes athletes can be very, very confident. Um, they can think that they know it all. Do you kind of run into some issues where they're still in that sports mindset, that on the court, on the field mindset? Yeah, sometimes you, I feel like it's 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 getting them over that hump, right? That it's like, okay, we're in a different space now. And that takes time. You know, some athletes have, have gone through therapy. Others, you know, it, it just depends on what stage they're in. But the conversations with me is about getting over that hump to say, this is what this is what this means now. This is the kind of space that you're in. And for some of them, it's it's, it's that mental transition of I'm no longer going to be the best, right? I'm starting from the All bottom. Because right. yeah. e even if you have a connection, you may still, you know, if a connection opens a door for you, you still have to prove yourself mm -hmm. versus your sports career. So that's also the conversation that we have. And so, so that's part of the discussion about trying to get over that mental hump of this is now a new chapter for you. There's a lot from your old chapter that you can bring here, but you have to think about this is a reset and be okay with the fact that you're not going to be the best out there and continue to be coachable. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. That's, that's good. And I think that's smart to say, cause that's the thing, you know, you go from maybe being on top, the big top person on campus. And, you know, I have tons of friends with athletes. I had one of my friends with it tell me, he was like, you know, once we graduated, he was like, you know, it was a transition for him because he was like, Hey, I always got my homework done for me. You know, I had to focus on the court. You know, I would get girls to do my work. I would get friends to do my work, those type of things. He was saying his first two years in the workforce is really, really hard because he had to humble himself and he had to really learn, like, okay, now I got to put the work in in a different way. Exactly, exactly. And and that's that's what I've seen sometimes is around helping them to, to transition their mindset because yeah. that feeling of loss of, yo, I was it. 
right and then now it's like you're not it like you've got to start you've got to prove yourself all over again um and but i i also talk through the fact that it's rewarding because it allows you to develop a it's humbling but it also helps you to develop a different set of skills now right like there's certain skills you develop on the court that you're bringing but this is now an opportunity for you to be hungry again to, to 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 soak up the knowledge to go back to what it meant when you were hustling to practice and train this is now the same thing just applied in a different way yeah yeah now um thinking about you know just navigating through your career um the workforce and you said a lot of experience um we had you know COVID take place in 2020 and you know for myself and many others um i'm fully remote um and it was something that i used to kind of be like i don't know if i want to do that just because you know missing out on the relationship building piece also just depending on the type of learning you are but now i'm fully remote i love it but one thing i would say i struggle with and i know others sometimes struggle with this um, still being able to navigate and network um, the same way you once did when you were in person. And for example, it's not like, oh, I'm remote and my office is still here. Like I'm remote here in Florida, but the headquarters of my office is in Louisville, Kentucky. So share some advice on how to, you know, virtually navigate, uh, you know, through the career to kind of like make your career, enhance your career and get some of those opportunities and continue to move up that ladder. Absolutely. Um I, I find that I network really well virtually as, as, as well. Yeah. A lot of the podcasts and other opportunities that I've gotten for my business is just because of people I've connected with through social media. Um, but in terms of networking virtually, LinkedIn is a, is a platform I love, love, love so much. Um, and so being able to uh, create relationships through a platform like LinkedIn. It's not just about mass sending out invitations, right? It's about yeah. who can you who can you go to their profile and see what they're posting and start a conversation with them, you know, based on something that they post. Slide in the the DM after that and say, hey, I really liked your comment about so and so, and start the conversation there. When you think about your your actual workplace, though. Think about, okay, so where do I want my career to go in this organization? And who do I need to start building relationships with? And just stalking them on the on the directory and say, hey, are you, do you have a, uh, some time for a, a coffee chat? Um, or I know that you had this role before. Um, and so I would love to learn about, you know, your background and, 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 and you know, how you were able to navigate different challenges. Um, and then also, if there's any sort of virtual what we did at our company, they were like virtual happy hours, virtual kind of right. after office sessions and stuff. And I know that people hate that. I, I know some of my folks of color are like, man, ain't nobody trying to be in these, uh, in these after oh, office things. Coffee and wine. Yeah, it's like... Right. And it's like, listen, that's where decisions are made. Decisions are not always made in somebody's boardroom or meeting room. A lot of times decisions get made when you're in those spaces. A lot of the relationships I have at my company was because I was going to these events. So if yeah. you're having them virtually, make sure that you show up. If you're having team meetings, make sure that you're showing up. Um, any opportunity that they're having any sort of gathering virtually, you want to be there because then you can also email someone after and say, hey, I love talking to you in such and such virtual uh, session or meeting or off after office. Let's talk separately. So there's a lot of ways to keep and build some of those connections. Right. And, um, you know, speaking of that networking piece, because I think, um, you know, just as, as, as black people, especially in these spaces, right? Uh, I'm, I've been, I got my master's in HR. I've been working in HR for like the last six, seven years. And we always hear this thing of bring your true self to work. Now, you know, for us, we're all, yeah, we're always in the back of our mind. Like, I don't know if y'all ready for that yet. So <laughs> when they say bring your true self to work, um, I think it's sometimes for my, I'm speaking from my experience, but I'm speaking for anyone else. I think it's sometimes impossible to do that 
when the culture just isn't your true self and it isn't your true self because you don't have people in there that look like you that can understand things. And I give an example, right? This is so, it's a funny story, but it's like, just shows like how the culture differences is. So I was working in financial services when I first moved down here. This was a, uh, was at top of 2020 and Kobe Bryant, you know, my favorite athlete of all time, you know, Kobe died. I remember driving, getting the news, waving next to him and crying like a baby. Like that was still to this day. That's my biggest inspiration ever. Like I watch his uh, interviews, you know, try to be motivated, the model mentality, all that. So I remember going to work the next day and mind you in my office, you know, there's no one else in there that looks like me. Um, you know, age difference, race difference, gender difference, whatever the case is. So I get to work the next day. You know, everyone's just going about their day so regular. And I'm just like, hey, like, Cole, you died. Like, you know what I mean? Like I almost took off. Like, what's work. happening? Like yeah. I almost took off work because of this. You know, I'm like, Kobe died, Kobe died. And um, you know, it was I'm just giving that example where that was one of the things, and I was just like, ah, but you know, my chats and my friends, my college chats, my Instagram, everything was just going off and going off. And of course it was our people, but it was one of those moments I was just like, man, like I couldn't even really talk about, you know, this current event at work. So sometimes even when it's coming in, hey, what did you do for the weekend? It's like, I don't know if I can share what I did because it doesn't relate to you or it's not part of your culture. So when they say bring your true self to work, I know this is something a lot of companies are pushing, but a lot of people, you know, fall back from it because they may be in fear of like, hey, if I bring my true self to work, I may not get a promotion or I may come off this way or, you know, it may pause my career. So you know, just uh, pretty much, I know I said a mouthful, but just want to shed light on how can we bring our true selves to work? Um, you know, but at the same time, I would say being comfortable, but also still being reserved because I think some stuff is for home, some stuff is for work. Yeah. And that's, that's what I was going to lead with. I think that the, the true self to work and authenticity, I think in some conversations has gone super far left, right? Where it's like, there's certain parts of you that are meant for home, home, mm -hmm. you and work, you are not the exact same thing, right? We're not wearing pajamas yeah. to the desk and that kind right. of thing, right? So, so there's a home you, and that's okay. That doesn't mean that you're a different version of yourself. It's that you're reading the room. And I yeah. think that that's part of what what happens when it comes to corporate America is reading the room. If you're feeling to the point where you're stifled and it's like, gosh, I can't talk to anybody. There's nobody like me. You know, that can make you uncomfortable. Then you have to think about, is that the right work environment for you? But you also have to understand that all cultures are not the same, right? When you're hit, when you're sitting with a bunch of black people, a lot of us, we all get the same thing. But when you go into a melting pot of places, you can't expect that everything that associated with you that they care about. And they can't expect that the stuff that they associate with them that you're going to care about. It's a melting pot. So when mm -hmm. we approach work as a, this is a melting pot of different cultures, you know, how can I show up in a way that I don't feel stifled and I don't feel like I have to be a different version of me. There, right. there can be a professional that you're carrying yourself a certain way, but as long as you still feel like, hey, I can have conversations, I don't feel stifled or silenced or being mistreated, you know, it's about who's my, what's my character and what can I bring to work in that sense? But like I said, I feel like there's a, a piece of you that needs to stay at home. And then we also need to consider our workplace is not just for us. There's an entire right. company of people that work there. And mm -hmm. so while I don't want for, for black people or people of color to be marginalized, it's also important that the culture that a company creates uh, fits the entire company. So it's on us when we're in an organization to find that pocket of people that we can build those relationships with. And it's not always going to be black people. I have a circle of people that I talk to at work who are Asian and so forth, but they right. come from similar backgrounds. And so we can have certain 
conversations together, the Kobe conversation, the George Floyd conversation. So it's on us to find our, you know, find our clique, find our tribe, whatever we want to, whatever is trendy, but find our group of people within that culture that allow us to have a little bit more of an expressive space. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. And, um, you know, thinking back to the college population, you know, coming out of school, going into the workforce. And I think sometimes, you know, within our culture, we sometimes look at stuff as, uh, oh, I don't want to be fake or I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Kind of just talk more about that adaptability and the importance of it. Because I think sometimes, you know, we say, oh, we don't be fake or if it's like I'm not being myself. But, you know, I think for me, I had a mom and uncles and people tell me, young age, like, hey, you have to be able to adapt to any environment. You know, same time be yourself. My mom always seemed to be a chameleon. You know, wherever you go, you need to be able to adapt to whatever's going on in that room, the people, these different type of things. So I guess so, more so what I'm saying is, how can people prepare more for that? So, you know, because if you're in college, like myself, went to HBCU. I mean, I went on my way. I was a student leader. So I, you know, um, um, engaged with international students, the athletes, all those type of things. But the typical person at HBCU, they're around people that look like them. You know, if they're in a fraternity sorority, it's people that look like them, come from similar backgrounds. So someone that's on a college campus now that's getting ready to graduate and they may not have that on campus, you know, kind of give some advice on how they could, get out that box. So when they get into a room and it's people that all one race or people that, you know, don't look anything like them, they're not culture shocked and it's not a rude awakening for them. Yeah. So, so one of the biggest things is thinking about how you can get some sort of work experience, whether it's an internship, you know, some sort of brief contract work, volunteer work, where maybe you're not getting paid right away, but you're learning some skills. The reason, and yes, it's important to get paid, but it's still important for you to develop a certain set of skills to be adaptable. And so if you can have those opportunities, opportunities, you can see, okay, so this is how people are, are, are functioning in the space, which is different from being on campus. Um, yes. And then also, if you're leveraging your career services center, they may have speakers that are coming in or speakers they yes. can connect you with at other organizations that can also help you to begin to understand, listen, when you get out of college, it's a different world out there. I, I highly recommend for, for college students, college athletes, whatever, use your career services center. They have a wealth of resources. Right. And many times, uh, people who've graduated, they may donate different things to help fund certain programs for you to engage with people externally, bring in certain companies to speak and bring resources. So, you know, uh, so those are some of the key ways I would say. And, 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 and then if you have uh, professors that you can engage with as well, especially if you have a professor that you have a good relationship with, and they may have come from a corporate background, they can also share with you, hey, listen, this is, these are some of the things to expect. It's not going to be like, you know, like it is here. Here are things to consider. You know, so there's a lot of people to start talking to using your career services center if you can get an internship or contract work so that you can just start to see what's the life outside of my college box. How have yeah. people adapted once they've graduated? Because people are, are ready and willing to share that information. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Now, um, also want to ask, you know, uh, kind of just get more outside of career, but just uh, yourself. So um, I know you're currently residing in Columbia. Um, is this the first, I know you're not in Columbia right now, but is Columbia the only place you lived outside of the U.S. or you lived somewhere else before that? Uh, so I'm actually in Argentina. So, uh, Ar so Argentina. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I've lived, so Argentina is the first kind of place outside the U.S. that I've lived as an adult. I lived in Barbados okay. as a kid just for, for a few years with my grandparents. But, um, 
but I lived, but, but Argentina is the first place that I've lived and it's, uh, it's yeah. definitely an experience. I've lived all over the U S but living outside of the country as an adult is a fascinating yeah. and exciting experience. I'll just be honest. Yeah. And, and yeah, excuse me. I keep saying Colombia cause I'm thinking about <laughs> and everyone in Colombia, <laughs> but it's um, all right. That's all right. Argentina, what, what, what prompted that move? Um, you know, cause um, some people are scared to just leave their city and maybe move three hours away or go away to college. But, what prompted the move to go to Argentina and just kind of shed some light on your experience, you know, being international. Yeah. So, um, so for my day job, actually, that's how I got this opportunity. So, okay. you know, I, I've been at my company now almost 11 years. Um, and I've, one of the things that I've always said was that I wanted an ex patriot assignment. Um, it takes, you have to perform at a certain level and so on and so on, but that's something that I've continued to voice. And then in 2021, they said, Hey, are you still interested in, in doing this? I'm like, absolutely, sign me up. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, and so they shared with me a little bit about the opportunity and they told me where it would be. And I and, and luckily for work, I had visited Argentina for another uh, for another situation. Um, and so it's like, oh, I've already been there. I've seen the city. It seems like a vibe. Let's let's do this. Um, and, and it's been great. Um, one of the things I would say about being international is that you have to switch your mindset very quickly, right? So this is not the US. You're not going to have all the comforts that you're used to. Um, the people don't function the same way. And here in Argentina, obviously, they speak a different language. Right. So, so, so there's all of those things that you have to consider. You have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable in order to navigate the space and, and, and not think about, well, this is not like the U.S. This is not like New York. This is not like wherever. It's like it's a completely different environment. But what I yeah. love about it is that it's taught me a different way to live. In the U.S., <laughs> it's super hustle culture. Everybody's got an right. LLC, right? And it's All like right. you know, or everybody's buying you know duplexes. Uh, but the thing about it is, in 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 a place like Argentina, for example, people here are living right? They spend time with their families. They exercise, they eat with friends, they eat with their family. Like people are living and not yeah. just working and trying to hustle. Right. Um, and so that's just one of the beauties of seeing how other people live. It's, it's a big part of just, you know, like I said, a big, of the international culture. Yeah. How's the black population over there? Is that fairly significant amount of black people? Well, <laughs> <laughs> no so, so in Argentina, there it's not a large population of us. It's very, okay. very few. I, I get stared at on the street on a very regular basis. Right, right, right. Some of it's just because people haven't seen a black person. Other is racism. Yeah. It's a mix of things. But it, there's okay. very few uh, black people here. Okay, got it. Now, would you say since living there, have you inspired some friends and maybe thought about like, oh, I'm thinking about moving to Argentina? Have you gotten that feedback from any of your friends in your circle? So, um, not necessarily Argentina, but I've, but people who said I'm ready to like leave the U S now, like seeing that you can go and thrive and like, yeah. and, and survive just fine. They're like, man, I think I might do it. So I have a friend who's thinking about moving to Mexico and then another, um, I think it's Brazil. <laughs> um, and there's like, yeah, I'm packing it up the U S and the insurrections and stuff. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> let, me, let me pack it in. Let me pack it in. Yeah, no, I, as far, I thought about it. Um, uh, I had an interview yesterday with someone in Colombia and it was, given the experience and it's funny because that was actually how i got in florida i was supposed to go to mexico for an assignment kept running into some visa issues so i ended up staying here um because the regional office was here that was october 2019 and COVID happened but um you mentioned yeah. something i want you to kind of share more light on too that you said you had to be able to perform at a, a certain level um you said to kind of get that um, experience so for some of those that are watching that work for these global companies and they have footprints all over the world um, what does that level look like that you're talking about that they need to perform at to kind of get that opportunity if they want to go international? 
Uh, absolutely. Um, so I'll be honest, you know, um, there's a lot of conversation now about quiet quitting and I'm just going to do the, you know, this bit. And that's cool if you just want the job and you just want to get the check. If you want to, if you want to ascend, it requires you to do a little bit more than that. And so in terms of performing at a high level, it's about understanding what the need is or what the objective is and seeing how I can surpass that, right? Yeah. So how can I deliver higher value? How can I take on more leadership opportunities? How can I take on opportunities that other people may not want? Because prior to this, I moved to Baton Rouge um, okay. and people were not lining up for Baton Rouge assignments. And, and But they came yeah. to me to say, hey, Julie, you want to go to Baton Rouge? In my head, I'm like, I don't know for real, but it's like, listen, I'm gonna take this move. And yeah. part of when I and when I followed up about this move to Argentina, they said part of it was because they saw my adaptability, my flexibility to say, hey, send me anywhere. I'm I'm good to go. Or here's this assignment that nobody wants. I'm good to go. So um, so so that's when it comes to performing at a high level, you may have to stay a little bit longer. You may have to do some things or take on some roles that are not the sexiest thing. But again, seeking to provide a value above and beyond the base objective. That's what people recognize. And when these opportunities come, your name gets to the top of the list. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. That's great advice. Um, I think sometimes you like to say people stuck in a bubble, people just clogging out at five, four fifty nine. I'm not staying <laughs> on, I'm not doing this. And like you said, bad rules, like it's funny as I first time visiting there was in November. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. And that's been sometimes even, my job even just for like a work trip i've had to travel to some places where i'm like i do not want to go there but i'm thinking about okay be the team player show that you're committed and show that you're adaptable and honestly they end up turning out to be some of the best trips um you know that i've had because we travel a lot with my job but sometimes they send me places i'm like you be like man ain't no black people out there i don't know there, you know but you end up listen <laughs> listen i had to go to oklahoma once um yeah. in like middle of nowhere oklahoma for an assignment and i was like man i might get stopped out here because i'm yeah. just like the racism uh i was no. like i don't know so but but again like you said about being adaptable being willing to travel mm -hmm. um being willing to take on the things that may not seem or feel comfortable to us yeah. You know, ascending in corporate America and getting the kind of sexy opportunities beyond that first job of $100,000 that everybody keeps preaching about, ascending in your career requires you to take on some discomfort and do things that don't feel right, you know, or, or feel exciting 100% of the time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I ask every guest is every episode, you know, it's uh, something I call the any means moment. Um, so any means for me, you know, dreams by any means, it started as my Instagram, turned into a podcast. Uh, what I always say on podcasts is, you know, hustle plus fake equals success. So I always ask people about an any means moment, you know, time where you may have had overcome adversity, a time where you had a super hard goal that you got accomplished, um, or a time where, you know, just like you said, you know, it could be something that maybe as you've done something. It doesn't even have to be in your career. It could be in personal life. But what is your any means moment that you want to share with the audience with some motivation? Yeah, so, so. Back in 2019, I had hired a PR person to help me with as I was trying to grow my business and okay. I was able to get certain features, but the podcast and other things were not coming. I don't know if I was just, they didn't like me or whatever the case is. I was just not getting any traction. And I was just like, so my goal was like, I'm going to start getting booked on podcasts. And so what I started to do, I, I, you know, I ended the relationship with the PR person and I just started hustling with my content 
putting out, you know, picking up my Twitter presence, started putting stuff on Instagram and I and started putting stuff on LinkedIn. I'm like, I'm a just, I'm a bulldoze my way into get somebody picking me up for podcasts. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is uh, it, by the end of 2019 and early 2020, you know, after people had seen my content, they're like, oh, I saw your, I saw that you wrote this article for XO Nicole, or I saw that you did this on Twitter and so forth. I would love to have you on my podcast. Mm -hmm. And, and it's because I had that mindset of, this is what I'm going to get done. I don't care. I'm like, I'm going to keep pushing. I'm going to keep putting myself out there, putting out the content, whether or not it's the, the best piece of content ever, right. I'm still going to keep showing up every single day. And I started getting booked on podcasts and it was, and for me, it was a, you know, it, I, I felt so proud, like, man, I couldn't even do this with a PR person, but me, you know, put it into elbow grease, right? Put it into elbow grease, getting it done. Um, and seeing my name on, you know, Apple podcasts with, you know, with different hosts and stuff for me, that was just like a milestone because I wanted to get in people's ears, right. They can yeah. read what I post, but I wanted to get in people's ears. And so, uh, was able to meet that goal by just, it's hustling. You, you got to roll yeah. up your sleeves and, and work, you know? Sure. And now you're on the best podcast. <laughs> Listen, now we together, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm excited yeah. about it. Now, um, before you go, I can't let you leave without talking about the book. Let's talk about the six figure athlete. Yes, yes. So, uh, so the six figure athlete. So that book. Uh, so I helped was a co-author for that book. Um, and I, and I wrote about and and that in that uh, in that book about networking and the importance uh, because the overall book is helping athletes to translate their skills into cash. So how can you, as you're leaving your sport, now you know attain six figures or more um, in this kind of next chapter of your life. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I tell people the key to getting money is, is, is having relationships. You can yeah. have the most skills in the world and all those things, but if nobody knows and nobody knows you, it doesn't matter. And so, so what I, what I outline in the book is how people can best leverage networking to get those opportunities that are going to pay them. So I'm not going to give away all the spoilers. You got to go buy the book, but yeah, but, but, yeah. but, um, but I'm excited because I feel like people, people lose sight of what, what, what networking can do for them. And, mm -hmm. um, no course, no online, you know, template can get you what networking can get you. I mean, it's, it's just that simple. Okay. And, and you being a coach, um, I wanted to ask, do you have a coach? So, uh, so I have a, a, a speaking coach right now because the next level for my business is expanding my, 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 my coaching, uh, my speaking yes. career. Uh, and so I have a coach right now that, you know, and, and I, and that's the thing I pay good money to my coach because every yeah. coach needs one, no matter what area of your business or your, or your life or your career, you always need somebody. So right now I'm working actively with a speaking, with a speaking coach. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I can see that for sure. I'm thinking about, um, you know, one of my friends who actually is a head football coach at the loop, you know, he works there at high school, but, you know, working with students. But I think you should start at the high school level, but I'll definitely pass your information along because I think, Thank you know, you. students need to start thinking about the early. Because, I mean, the reality is just that everyone's not going to go pro. We were talking about this other day in my chat and, you know, we're joking. And my best friend, he was like, yeah, he was like, I'm in 10th grade. He said, I realized that I wasn't going nowhere. So he said, I stopped focusing on it. He said, I started thinking about school and doing applications and those type of things. But, um, yeah, that's good though. So um, yeah, that does all my questions. Uh, this is definitely very great. Um, like I tell every uh, guest, you're welcome to come back on the show. Um, definitely Thank love you. that. Um, I'm in my head now, just thinking about so many opportunities within my network where I think you can be used. That um, I think about some of my friends. Thank you. Work. 
for the Department of, uh, Department of Employment Services in D.C. Um, like I said, some of my friends that are coaches, a lot of my friends work with workforce development, um, reentry. Come on and connect uh, me, Ed. Come on yeah, and connect yeah, me yeah, with the people. Come on and connect me with the people. Prison, but this is this is great because I think the thing with you, you know, really relatable um, and straight to the point. You know, you're not really giving a, a framework or design. It's just like, look, one plus one equals two. And then at the end of the day, is that if you can't build those relationships, you know, you're not going to be successful at all. Exactly. Again, I think that that's the piece that people look over. Everybody's selling snake oil online, right? Like, well, you can be a, you know, get your $100,000 career. And it's like, but what happens right. after you get that job, that first one? Yeah. What happens? How do yeah. you maintain? And, and it's, it starts with networking. And and, and, it's, and that's always been my biggest um, interest, you know, with my HR career. I interned in different areas from recruitment, conversation, talent management. And even though now I'm in talent acquisition, I really have an interest and a passion for talent management because like, okay, you're in, but how do we keep you, develop you, move you up, so forth and so on. So I definitely agree. But um, thank yeah, you yeah. so much. Yeah, if you ever uh, want to have a talk about talent acquisition or talent management, let me know. That's a whole other, that's a whole sure. other no, podcast. We're just, we're follow up, for sure. I'm, 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 I'm buggy, though. I'm buggy. I'm probably annoy you, but I'm a buggy. <laughs> but um, <laughs> let the people know where they can find you at, follow you on your socials, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all that. Absolutely. So I'm pretty consistent online. If you want to follow me personally, uh, I'm at the Julia Rock on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to follow the business, it's at Rock Career on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And and if you want to visit the website, it's www.rockcareer.com. All right, perfect. Thank you so much, Julia. I really appreciate this today, and I will see you on here again really soon. Thank you so much for having me, Ed. Really appreciate the time. All right, take care. Thank you for tuning into Dreams by Any Means Motivation Station, where hustle plus faith equals success. Stay tuned for the next episode.